0: good morning appreciate that Jim uh, very much you know pastors um, not just Sunday school teachers but pastors especially need prayers because they have uh, a bullseye on them by the enemy and um, if he was able to take out a pastor then you know as Jesus said uh, strike the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered there are so many who are affected by that so we need to continue to pray uh, for our pastor as well as just for pastors in general throughout the world, because, um, as well as Sunday school teachers. Well, when we travel, we usually do so to see something that's different or something that's new. Because after all, if we wanted to see the same old thing, we could just walk outside the front yard. But traveling is, uh, brings a great blessing because we get to see wonderful things like mountains, and oceans and uh, landmarks. These are things here in flatland Texas that we don't get to see much of. We get great sunsets, but uh, you know, you can get that pretty much anywhere. (laughs) But um, one of the great things also about traveling is not just seeing different things, but seeing how in different contexts some things are the same. Like I'll never forget when I went to Russia for the first time, noticing that pigeons walk the same over there that they do here. You know, with their heads like that. And I thought, well, that's amazing. You know, they do really multiply after their kind, just like God, just like God said. But what's not only true of pigeons is also true of archaeology. And that is that if you want to see some of the things that occur in the Bible when you travel around the world, you've got to take a shovel with you. Because most of the time what is found is found about 30 feet below where you're standing. Like Jerusalem is a great example. If you go to the Jewish quarter in Jerusalem and you want to see the, the area that, that Jesus was, you got to go about 30 feet down because this, the sands of time, literally, and wars and the bickering and the backfill of political arguing, the wars of Jerusalem have just heaped literal layers on top of the last 2,000 years to where now it's 30 feet higher than it was in Jesus' day. And I've thought about that a lot with, with regard to our spiritual lives because um, time is no friend to an unintentional spiritual life. Time blows layers over our walk with God. And if we don't deal with those, then eventually it gets buried so deep that you can't even see it. You've got to dig for it if you're going to find it. There is a sense of... Um, of continual maintenance of our spiritual lives just as we if as if we were to keep the kitchen floor clean think about that if you don't take care of your kitchen floor well let's get out of the kitchen go straight to your bathroom what happens if you don't take care of that bathroom you don't want to walk in that bathroom it's the same with the spiritual life kind of an interesting connection maybe i should use a different one but (laughs) let's just get back to the principle that time time is no ally an unintentional spiritual life but if you are intentional about your spiritual life it's a completely different story time is your friend let's turn together to the book of galatians book of galatians we are into paul's epistles as we take a single message from each of the 66 books of the bible and we come to a book that was written most likely on Paul's first missionary journey. Now let's do a little something a little fun uh, and learn the order and the arrangement of Paul's epistles. It can be kind of challenging and kind of intimidating when you just flop open and you got Romans and first and second Corinthians and then Galatians and Ephesians like it's all out of order. How in the world do you make sense of it all? Well it's really actually pretty easy. You just think th- think this to yourself. One, two, three, four, three. Let's say that together. One, two, three, four, three. That's it. You got the whole thing of Paul's books and the order of it, but here are the details. So, one, two, three, four, three. One, on his first missionary journey, he wrote one book. On his second missionary journey, he wrote two books. On his third missionary journey, he wrote, can you guess? Three books. Uh, There wasn't a fourth missionary journey, but his imprisonment in Rome was a journey unto itself. He wrote, guess how many? Four books. So one, two, three, four, and then you back one to three. In his final years, I don't know what else to call it, but his final years, he wrote three books, which were the pastoral epistles. So one, two, three, four, three. So what are those? So first missionary journey, he wrote one book, Galatians. Second missionary journey, he wrote two books, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Third missionary journey, he wrote three books, 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Romans. Then not fourth missionary journey, but the first imprisonment in Rome, he wrote four books. And here's the big one. We call them the prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. And then so 1, 2, 3, 4, and then back to 3, is his uh, pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus. So if you just sort of walk your way through that arrangement, 1, 2, 3, 4, 3, you can think through the not only the order but the number of Paul's epistles. We are in the one, that is the first missionary journey, and he wrote Galatians. Galatians was probably Paul's first book, and I say probably because it depends on how you interpret um, Galatians, whether North Galatia, South Galatia. Uh, Dr. Toussaint walked us through this, and I I agree with uh, his conclusion. He says it's the Southern Galatian theory, as it's called, or basically that Galatians was written uh, uh, just after the first missionary journey, or uh, on the first missionary journey. So, you're in Galatians chapter 2. On the first missionary journey, he wrote this book, Galatians, and it occurred in Acts chapters 13 and 14. If you wanted to read the first missionary journey, you'd turn to Acts 13 and 14. It's really pretty exciting, uh, frankly. The, this uh, southern area of Turkey, except for the places he went in the island of Cyprus, the whole first missionary journey was in southern Turkey, or back at that time what was called Galatia. And there was a challenge that every time Paul went, you kind of have in, the, in uh, Pisidian Antioch was his sort of sample sermon, as it's often called. It's the longest sermon that Paul preached in the book of Acts, and it talks about how Paul preached when he went to synagogues. It's sort of an example of all the times that he would do it. And he would basically start with the prophecies of Jesus, how Jesus fulfilled those prophecies, how there is a future accounting for this, and you need to place your faith in Christ. And this is basically what he did every time he went to a synagogues. And every time also he went, the Jews opposed him and basically ran him out of town. And so when he gets back to Antioch and writes Galatians to these churches, the major theme of this book is You don't have to obey the Old Testament law in order to be saved. You are saved by grace through faith apart from the law. This is the big idea. So Galatians 2, let's look at chapter 2, verse 20, and just look at a couple of verses that support what we just talked about. Galatians 2.20, you probably have this memorized. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. I think the NIV said Christ dies for nothing. And it's impeccable logic. It's like, you know, if you could get to heaven by being good enough, why'd Christ have to die? Christ died because none of us can get to heaven by being good enough. Obeying the Old Testament law condemns you because you don't obey it. Rather, apart from the law, you're saved simply by faith in Christ who died for your sins. That's the message of Galatians. Um, And interestingly, he is saying this, if you look in the context of Galatians 2, these words are actually spoken to Peter. Peter came to Antioch, and Peter sort of separated himself from the Gentiles because other Jews had come, and Peter was sort of feeling the pressure of, uh, of uh, separating from Gentiles, and Paul calls him out in front of everybody. And it's ironic because, remember, this is in the book of Acts, chapter 14, and just several chapters earlier that, than that, in Acts 10, Peter had been taught this very lesson by Christ, Remember, we looked at that when we looked at the book of Acts together. That uh, Remember, Peter was told, go ahead and eat the unclean food, because it represents going to these unclean nations. The Gentiles are okay to go to. And Peter says, got it. And then he goes to Antioch, and he separates from them, and, and Paul has to call him out, which uh, Paul noted in this first epistle. Notice Peter never noted that in his epistles, but uh, Paul, Paul wrote that down for us so we wouldn't miss it. And it's a good example, because uh, Peter, even after having learned over and over, um, he still has to be taught, and just like us. So, let's turn Galatians 2.20. You are there, but now turn to chapter 5 and look at verse 1. We're working our way up to chapter 6. Galatians 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free, therefore keep standing firm, and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery, meaning you don't have to obey the Old Testament law. Christ set us free from that. It was for freedom that Christ set us free, so stand firm in it. If somebody tries to push you back into legalism, and this works not just for Old Testament law, but this works for you know, anything that you feel like you've got to be uh, justified in God's sight by doing X, Y, Z. If somebody tells you you're not a Christian, if you don't, then fill in the blank. Take them to Galatians 5.1. Uh, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. I don't have to do what you're telling me to do to be a Christian. All I have to do is believe. And that's it. So, now turn to Galatians 6. And this is where we're going to spend our time. Because Paul gives a very practical application of this. Very practical application of this. Um, We're in chapter 6. Actually, I'll tell you what. I jumped too fast. Go back to chapter 5. Look down at verse 13. Let's read one more verse to set us up for chapter 6. Chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So his point there is, yes, you're free but don't abuse that freedom. Yes, you're saved by grace apart from anything that you do, but don't abuse that grace. And so now in chapter 6, he gives us a very practical outworking of not abusing the grace. It's a great, great application. Galatians 6, let's start down in verse 7. Paul writes, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. Do not be deceived, Paul says. The word he uses here for deceived in the original language is a word that means, uh, actually Jesus used the, a similar word in, where he talked about a sheep wandering off the path. It has the idea of being not just wandering, but of someone causing the sheep to wander. The idea of being misled. If, if you let someone off the path, they are misled. That's the idea here. Don't be deceived. Don't let anyone take you off the path. Don't let them get you off focus here. If you are, you are deceived. He says we're deceived when we think that whatever we sow, meaning whatever we plant, is not what we're going to reap. It's an attempt, Paul says, to mock God when we do that. Uh, And the word that Paul uses here for mock is the word that was used of Jesus when he was on the cross, that they mocked him. It literally means to turn your nose up. And nobody does that to God. Nobody mocks God. There is a simple law of cause and effect that God has set up. And I see it in my backyard. Kathy has started a garden in our backyard. She's been gardening for 30 plus years. And I know that because I've known her for 30 plus years. But this is like a serious garden. I mean, I like had to help build it. It's like 30 by 25, and it's got walls, and we brought a you know, dump truck. I mean, it's like a serious garden. And she loves it. It's like her big, big sandbox. She just goes out there, and she can spend hours out there just fiddling in the dirt. That would drive me nuts. She loves it. And she has planted stuff in it. And I love eating what she plants. She has planted onions and tomatoes, but cucumbers. (laughs) Kathy makes the best dill pickles on the planet. And so I'm really looking forward to those cucumbers doing what they do. But here's the crazy thing. Uh, She hasn't planted squash. And so no squash is going to grow. And that's good, because I'm not a big squash fan. But God has set that system up. If you plant cucumbers you're going to grow cucumbers. You're not going to grow squash. That's pretty simple. But how often we take that principle in our lives and assume that we're going to plant one thing and grow something else. Paul says that's not the way it works. We uh, we grow what we sow. Or if we want to say it differently, and this, this is our first principle of three that we'll glean from the text today, glean, that's kind of a good way to say it. In this context the principle number one is very simple what we sow is what we grow what we sow is what we grow so the answer that you've got to, the question you've got to ask is what do you want to reap what do you want to grow in your life you say well I want to be a woman of the word that's great so are you in the word are you spending time In the word of God, ladies? Or you say, I want to be a man of prayer. That's fantastic. Where on your calendar do you pray? Other than Jim. We know Jim prays. He prays every Sunday morning for us. But seriously, I want to have a home of peace and grace, unlike the home that I grew up in. That's fantastic. Are you contributing to that? Do you make it a home of grace and kindness? Because you see, it's simple cause and effect. What we want to reap in our lives is what we have to sow. The spiritual life is not an accident. It is a series of very deliberate decisions that we make on a regular basis. In fact, when we read the book of Proverbs, Proverbs are full of this kind of wisdom that you reap what you sow. In fact, don't turn there, but just jot down Proverbs 12.14. I recently read this and thought that is exactly what Galatians is teaching. Proverbs 12.14, the second part of it says, The deeds of a man's hand will return to him. The deeds of a man's hand will return to him. It's the exact same idea that we reap what we sow. Listen to how the New International Version translates Hebrews thirteen verse seven. Just listen. Hebrews 13.7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You see, we can learn what to do by looking at godly people who have gone before us. We can also look at what not to do by looking at ungodly people who have gone before us. But you know, we don't have to look at others, we can look at our own lives as well. We can learn a lot from our own failures, can't we? Or we should. One of the great benefits of failing, is, of blowing it, is learning from it so that failure doesn't have to ultimately be failure. It can be a step to ultimate success. So Paul's given us the general principle. What we sow is what we grow. Now he gets more specific. Look at verse 8. He says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This is true of every person. The one who sows. And literally, the way it's written in the original language is the one who continually sows. This is a present tense verb. It's, and it has the idea of a continual action. It's not just, you know, you, you sow it once, and then you can expect to eat cucumbers. You plant cucumbers once, and you can expect to eat cucumbers the rest of your life. No, you got to do that all the time. You want cucumbers every year, you got to plant it every year. Hey, except asparagus. For some reason, asparagus, plant it once, and it just keeps coming back. That's the kind of garden I want to plant. <laughs> just do it once, and you're done. But it's not that way with the rest of life, is it? The one who continually sows. And this is important because we're talking about a way of life here. To reap what you sow doesn't just mean that you blow it one day and now the rest of your life is messed up. Now, granted, there are some major sins that that's true. But if you think about it, a major sin never happens just out of the blue one day. It, usually it's a series of decisions that led up to being willing to, make that major, to, to commit that major sin. But the challenge is, when, when there's dust, if we can go back to archaeology, the, if there's dust that begins to blow on your spiritual life, your daily time in the Word, your daily time in prayer, and your time with the Father blows the dust off of that. Confession looks at it and keeps you sensitive to, to what is wrong between you and the Lord, and you blow the dust off of it through confession. And all of a sudden, you're back down to ground zero and there's no dust that's going to get in the way. There's no weeds in your garden. You're pulling the weeds. So the general principle is given, but the specific is also there, the one who continually sows. We sow a life one way or the other. Paul tells us the first way, the first way he says is one who continually sows to the flesh. And if you've got the New International version, I'm sorry, the New American Standard version like I have read here, you underline the words, his own, and if you don't have that version, underline whatever, whatever it is that reflects his own flesh, or his own sinful nature, or whatever it is, but the point is that it comes from yourself. If you sow to live to the self, then you will reap destruction. You're serving yourself. You're serving the sinful nature within you, and we all have that tendency, If we stubbornly persist in serving self, God allows our self-serving life to bring about its own consequences. Notice this verse also says that when we serve our own flesh, we reap corruption from ourselves, from the flesh. The source of corruption is ourselves. But on the other hand, if you sow to the Spirit, then you have a different outset altogether. Now, Paul is applying something that he introduced back in chapter 5, so just turn back a page or look up to chapter 5, verse 19, and let's read the context that really Paul's original readers would have understood before they were reading chapter 6. Galatians five nineteen, Paul writes, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Now that's important. This isn't an exhaustive list. Paul's saying, you get the idea. Things like these. This is just a sample list, fill in the blank. Things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, Paul isn't saying that a person who does these things, as a Christian, you lose your salvation. That completely contradicts the rest of the book of Galatians. It says you're saved apart from works, including bad works, that can threaten your salvation. He's saying that if you do these things, you're living like pagans. That's the point. Paul developed this a whole lot further in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 6-8, through 8, especially chapter 6, he really emphasized this. So, will a Christian be forgiven if they do these things? Yes, a Christian's already forgiven when they do, th- do these things. And this is why Paul is telling us not to do it. He says you don't want to mock God. You don't want to take it for granted. You don't want to uh, use your freedom for Christ as an excuse to try to get away with it. But rather, you want to do it because you love him. So, when you plant okra, you're not going to grow corn, Paul says. You're going to reap what you sow. But there's an alternative given. Uh, chapter 5, verse 22, the very next verse. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, meaning there's no need for law. There's no consequences for a broken law. Instead, there's Uh, There's a life that is fulfilling. There is a life that honors God. This is what Paul meant back in chapter 6. So look in chapter 6, and let's look at verse 8 again. We read it, but let's read it again now that we know the context. He writes, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. In other words, if we do the deeds of the flesh, or if we plant the seeds of the flesh, might be another way to say it, then what are we going to reap? What, what's going to come up? What we sow. But if we plant the seeds of the Spirit, what's going to grow? The fruit of the Spirit. It's that same idea. So if we want to have a life that, that comes out with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, then that's what we plant. We plant those things if that's what we want to reap. Well, we all believe this. No problem. So far, we're all one for one. Amen. Paul, you nailed it. But then, there's a problem. We struggle with this. The major struggle with this. Because it takes so long to reap. You see, this is why I don't garden. If I want cucumbers, I go to Kroger. I don't plant. Kathy does it cuz she loves it and it she loves it. You know, and for you, you probably don't, you know, go out to the wood shop and build a table. You go up to IKEA or something and buy a table. I like building tables because that's my joy. But see, in the spiritual life, none of us gets joy with weeding our hearts. That's hard work. There's no joy in that. It's hard. And Paul knows that it's hard. And he says basically, hey, if this is what you're feeling, got good news, you're normal. Look at verse 9. He says, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. You see, here's the difficulty. And here's why so many Choose the easy way of the flesh. The flesh and this is probably a bad example because we got donuts right over there in the room. But donuts are so much easier than cooking a real breakfast, aren't they? They taste great. I mean I don't know anything tastes better than a donut. But who wants to go with the fuss of of cooking and cleaning and making it healthy and then, you know, all that stuff when you can just go get a donut? Well, the problem is because donuts aren't healthy. And long-term, they will be a great challenge for us, right? But once a week on Sunday, hey, anything we eat here in Sunday school doesn't count, right? <laughs> doesn't count. I heard about a father who encouraged his daughter to open a savings account. She finally saved enough money. I don't remember what it was. It was a small amount, but she, she, the father talked her into putting it in a savings account. And she says, why would I want to do that? And he explained to her, you know, how savings and interest and all this worked. And so she goes, okay. So they go up to the bank, go to the teller. She says, I want to open a savings account. So they do. She gets a receipt, and then she just sort of stands there. And the teller says, is there something else I can help you with? She says, yes, I want my interest. I love that because that is how we are, isn't it? It's sort of crazy. Now, don't tell me you've never done this, but when you start a diet, let's say you start a diet, and the first meal that you really sacrifice, I mean, you like eat something you don't want to eat because it's healthy. What do you do? You run over to the scale and see how much you've lost. Like it's going to happen that fast. That's not the way it works, is it? We don't want to eat a salad and walk five miles. We want to drink a chocolate shake, a protein shake, take a nap, and wake up having lost 10 pounds. But that's not how it works, is it? We want our interest now. The law of sowing and reaping, Paul tells us, has an essential truth. And here's our second principle. And it's an important one to realize. There's usually a delay between what we sow and what we reap, there is usually a delay between what we sow and what we reap. Paul said, In due time we will reap. In due time. That's our problem, is the waiting. Um, I don't know if you remember Psalm 73, but this was Asaph's problem in Psalm 73. Remember that Psalm? It's where Asaph looks around and he sees all the evil people in the world having fun. And Asaph says, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. He looks around at the evil people and he says, they got it great, God. Why in the world am I hurting myself to be godly and holy? And then Asaph says, and then I went into the house of God and I remembered their end. He remembers how it ends for the evil people. And then he realizes, oh, yeah, it really is worth it to live a pure life. So Psalm 73 is a great uh, bit of encouragement for you if you need this expanded and illustrated asaph does a great job the person who looks for a quick fix in the spiritual life is going to be disappointed it's the same with the garden sowing and reaping there is a delay between what we sow and what we reap and that's our challenge it's not the beginning we're passionate about that it's not the ending boy that's what we want it's the in between it's that messy middle it's like when you're running a marathon. Everyone loves the beginning. Everyone runs, starts out far too faster than you, running far too fast, faster, quicker than you should. And at the end, you're all excited because everyone's cheering you on, but there's nobody on mile 19. It's just you and the road and your body that's telling you to stop. The messy middle is where we spend most of our lives. How many projects or books or diets have we begun only to stop when the reality of what it takes kicks in? God knows this is a challenge for us. This is why Paul tells us, we will reap if we do not grow weary. The word that he used here for grow weary is the same word that Jesus used in the feeding of the 4,000. Remember when Jesus said, don't send them away or or they might collapse on the journey? It's the same word. The word means that you give out, so you give up. Paul says, don't give out. Don't give up. Why? He says, because we will reap. This is a promise. This is not a proverb. This is a promise from the word of God. In due time, we will reap. We will reap. It's not only future. It is a promise. It is a promise for our future. We will reap. Of course, the challenge is that weeping, that that reaping comes with weeping. It's hard work. But this is why Paul tells us don't give up. Keep on going, keep on reading, keep on praying, keep the, uh, the priority of your time with God, keep planting those fruits of the Spirit. That your response in life to a world that that hates you and hates Christ is that you are going to continue with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is your commitment. You're going to plant those things every single day in your life because that's what you want to reap. That's what you want to reap. So take heart, he says. Don't lose heart. Don't give up because um, harvest time's not come yet, but it is coming. We will reap. And then he finishes his thought here, his paragraph, with verse 10. So then, here's the conclusion. While we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. The word that Paul uses here for opportunity is interestingly the same word that he used in verse 9 for time. There it's translated due time. In other words, uh, and it's, got a, it's got an adjective that describes it. It's time that's due or appropriate time. But here the word is while we have time, the idea is while we have the opportunity. So it's interesting you get the same, same word there. But it also gives us a perspective that's helpful while we are in that messy middle. And here's the final principle, the third principle. The delay in harvest reflects a precious opportunity to serve God. The delay in the harvest reflects a precious opportunity to serve God. You see, we long so much for the glory to come that we can miss so many of the opportunities of right now. Paul says, right now we have an opportunity. He says, while we have the opportunity, he's speaking of this current time where we're longing for the harvest. He says, longing for the harvest is great, but you have an opportunity right now. Don't miss it. You have an opportunity to do good to all people and especially to Christians. As we said earlier, the secret to an intentional spiritual life is focus. And it really comes down to the little things. You know, Dealing with the little things in life is a lot easier than letting them get big. It's a lot easier to move a brick than it is to move a wall. It's a lot easier to deal with something that's small before it gets big. Um, it takes daily commitment, deliberate commitment. I don't know if you remember back in the 1992 Olympics that were in Barcelona, there was a... a, a Something that happened on the 400-meter, was it a semifinal, I think. Uh, a Britain, a British athlete named Derek Redmond. He started out, and he was only about uh, 100 meters into the 400 meters. And for those of us that aren't that familiar with meters, it's just one lap around the track. So this is like an all-out sprint. He's running fast, and he's only about a quarter of the way there, and his hamstring tears which is sad not only because he's at the Olympics and his his opportunity is shot, but years earlier he had this a very similar thing happen. And so he was really hoping that this time around that he would he would win. But obviously he wasn't. He falls to the track, medics rush over to him and he pushes all the medics away, and he gets up on his own and just starts limping, and you know, he's obviously not gonna make it. Well this guy in the stands Wearing a t shirt, tennis shoes, and a Nike cap, pushes all the the guards aside and runs out on the field and grabs him. It was his dad. And his dad helps him the rest of the 300 meters around and they cross it together. Derek's mom at home, of course, is weeping. They're they're watching, she's watching on television. Derek's sister is pregnant and goes into like premature labor (laughs) watching this. (laughs) But I just thought, you know, isn't it wonderful? It's sort of a touching scene just in and of itself, but it's a wonderful illustration of God's heart with Galatians 6 because Paul is writing to show that we will reap if we do not give up. If an earthly father has this kind of passion to run to the side of his child, of his son or his daughter, who has the mindset, I'm finishing. No matter how much it hurts, I am going to finish. If we have that kind of mindset in life, Our Heavenly Father is going to come alongside us and give us the strength to cross and to finish well. That is what Paul is talking about. That is the commitment that we need to have every single day. What we sow is what we grow. There's usually a delay between what we sow and what we reap. The delay in the harvest reflects a precious opportunity to serve God. So grateful for Galatians 6 because it is where we live every single day. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for Paul's pen, writing more than simply doctrine, for which we're grateful in Galatians, that we are justified by grace through faith in Jesus, apart from the law. This in and of itself would be worthy of the book. But that he ends with such a practical application, to remind us that this law of sowing and reaping doesn't have to work against us. It can work for us. If we make a commitment that day by day, in our walk with you, we're gonna blow the dust of this world off of our spiritual lives, that we're gonna pull the weeds that want to grow from our own hearts, that we're going to sow seeds of the fruit of the Spirit so that we will reap the fruit of the Spirit, and that we will persevere every single day not becoming weary or just deciding we're going to give up because it's too hard. Thank you that Christ didn't give up. Thank you that Paul didn't give up. Thank you that uh, all of the godly women and men of the scriptures persevered, and they are our example. And even in our own lives, Father, thank you for those who have given us the, the great example of finishing well. Help us finish well day by day as we make the decision to follow you and not grow weary, trusting that we will reap a harvest in due time. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.